Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to PGN, Prophetic Grace Network. It is Sunday, June 11th of 2023. You are listening to Secrets Revealed, Understand the Book of Revelation from start to finish. I want to begin our program with prayer requests. If you have a prayer request, would you text in or call in your prayer request? You can do that. Our PGN text number is 1214. 505-8719. If you have a prayer request, would you go ahead and text it in? Our PGN text number is 1214-505-8719. You can also call. It is the live Internet broadcast. We are broadcasting uh, from 12 p.m. Texas time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern time today on Sunday, June 11, 2023. If you'd like to share your prayer request, by phone, I invite you to do that. Our PGN phone number is one three one nine five two seven six zero two seven. So remember, there are two PGN phone numbers now. It depends on which program you're listening to. For this program, you want to call the old PGN phone number. That's one three one nine five two seven. Six zero two seven. I'd love to get to talk to you, to pray with you and for you. You can also call to share your perspective about the book of Revelation uh, or to pose a question. So excited about what God is doing with PGN and what he is doing on this program. I believe that people who listen to PGN are people who have a heart to know the truth. So the purpose of this program is to allow God to reveal to you and to me secrets about the end of the age, secrets that are revealed in the book of Revelation. So today we are going to get to it. What's it unlocking those secrets? Today is the day for us to talk about the earth reaped prophecy. It is prophecy number five of 12 prophecies. These are moving pictures in words. Today we would call them movies, visions that were shown to John the Revelator when he was called up to heaven. So in Revelation chapter 4, we hear John's report on heaven. A voice called him up to heaven, then he is there in heaven. And beginning with chapter 5, verse 1, he's shown visions. So these were visions external to himself, visions that he did not create, visions of future realities. So when we talk about movies that present realities, we say that those are a special kind of movie. They're documentaries. So in that way... The book of Revelation includes 
documentaries about the end times. So today we're going to hear the Earth Reaped Prophecy. The Earth Reaped Documentary. It includes Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 20. And in this statement of prophecy, in this documentary, John the Revelator was shown the fate of all the enemies fighting on Team Satan at the Battle of Armageddon. John the Revelator was also shown what happens at the time of the second coming as Jesus is in the clouds to those who are in Christ. So when we think about the Great Tribulation, we know from Revelation chapter 13, that's the 666 Antichrist prophecy, that the Antichrist is allowed to do whatever he wants for three and a half years for 42 months. We know that during that period, what he will do is he will attack Israel. We know that from Revelation chapter 12, the 1,260 days prophecy. Now, after the Great Tribulation, also discussed in Matthew and elsewhere in the Bible, after this three-and-a-half-year period, that's 42 months, that's 1,260 days. After the wrath of Satan comes the wrath of God. And if you are a truth seeker and a believer, you want to be excited about the wrath of God. Because as the Bible says, we are not appointed to God's wrath. The wrath of God is for those who are team Satan. The wrath of Satan is for those who are team Jesus. But notice that the order that they come in. First is the wrath of Satan, and last is the wrath of God. What does that mean? That means that in the end, ultimately, ultimately, all who are team Jesus triumph, are victorious, Transition from mortality to immortality. Rule and reign with Jesus Christ on this present earth for a thousand years. As described in the millennial reign prophecy, the 1,000 years prophecy, Revelation chapters, chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. And then after the rest of the dead are resurrected. In the dead judged prophecy, Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, after they are judged, post-resurrection of the remainder of the dead, we transition to a new earth where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more grief, no more death. That's right. There's coming a day. There's coming... A day, a time, an hour, an age. What's that age? It's the eternities of eternities. It's beyond time. So 
in the Bible, there's a scripture that talks about before time. And in the book of Revelation, we hear what happens after time, after the end of time. In other words, in what uh, I heard one Bible teacher, Urban Baxter, refer to as eternity, future, in other words, the eternities of eternities. So today, let's get to secrets in the book of Revelation. Let's talk about the earth reaped prophecy and what you're going to hear in this prophecy is what happens at the second coming of Jesus Christ, specifically the marriage of the lamb happens and it's followed by the marriage supper. Let me say that again. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, the marriage of the Lamb happens, and it's followed by the marriage supper. So the marriage supper prophecy is in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21. In these documentaries, and we're going to hear the Earth Reaped documentary today, the Earth Reaped prophecy, these documentaries focus on the events leading up to the second coming, including the second coming, and the last three Focus on, focuses on what happens after the second coming. So we're hearing the fifth prophecy. It includes what happens at the Battle of Armageddon, but it's not the only prophecy that talks about the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon uh, prophecy, in other words, the prophecy that focuses nearly exclusively on that is the marriage supper prophecy. Let's make sure we understand this. Some translations refer to the marriage supper as the wedding banquet or the wedding feast. We're going to hear it today to make sure we have a full understanding of the secrets unlocked in this earth reap prophecy. But we don't have a wedding feast, a wedding banquet, a marriage supper of the lamb until we have the marriage of the lamb, right? So what we're going to hear in this prophecy is about what happens at time one and then what happens at time two. As you may recall from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and let's go there for a second. Let's hear that. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So we want to get context for what we're about to hear. We're going to hear very briefly about how the marriage of the lamb happens, and then we're going to hear in greater detail about what happens to those who take the mark of the beast, and then the prophecy drills down to focus exclusively at the end to what happens to those who take the mark of the beast and who are in the armies led by the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the kings of the world at the Battle of Armageddon. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, we hear what happens at the second coming, event number one, the marriage of the Lamb. Here it is. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So that's important. 
Heaven is a temporary storage tank, as Prophet Randy Chandler has said. Uh, the prolific writer Randy Alcorn refers to heaven as a layover. So both metaphors are apt descriptions. In other words, they help us to understand that it's a temporary location, a wonderful location, but it's temporary. Why? Because it says right here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now that's important. But we're talking about event one and event two, the marriage of the Lamb. So two groups are included. So he brings back the believers who have died. They come back in two and one. Soul, their mind, will, and emotions intact. Their spirit intact. And what are they coming back to? They're coming back to their reconstituted, their resurrected bodies. So they put it on like you put on a beautiful outfit, one that's been tailored precisely to your exact measurements, your exact height, uh, weight. You know, I like to buy clothes from this uh, one retailer, and I had no idea that to make the perfect dress they need, uh, I think I give them 15 to 20 measurements, things that I would never think that you need to know in order to make a dress, but I tell you what, I put in all those measurements, and when I uh, take that dress out of the box, they uh, ship it to me, and it fits me like a glove, and I'm so happy. When you transition to your glorified, perfected, immortal body, it's going to be amazing. It will fit you better than anything you have ever experienced your best day physically and mentally on this present earth does not come anywhere close to your worst day in your new, glorified, perfected, immortal body. Why? It's going to be a body that's free of DNA errors. It will be a body just like the body that Jesus Christ put on when he rose from the dead. We're told in Revelation that he's the firstborn of the dead. Now, do you know anybody else who's come back uh, to life from the dead yet? Now, he's the firstborn of the dead. Now, can others um, come back from the dead? Absolutely. Uh, God's still healing people today. But every believer, every believer who has died is coming back from the dead, 100%. 100%. Now, let's read on in First Thessalonians chapter 4 because our focus is on the earth reap prophecy today. And we want to understand the part where there's a, uh, one verse that refers to the part where those of us who are alive at the time of the second coming, where we transition from mortality to immortality. Let's keep reading in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 says, continuing, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. We've already talked about that. 
but this is the part we're going to focus on for a moment today. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, we know that when we transition from mortality to immortality, those of us who make it through the great tribulation, we participate in the marriage of the Lamb. That's the first resurrection. That's what's described here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. So, what about... This verse. For the believers, wait, I mean, verse 17. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Let's go to Revelation 14. Let's go to the earth reap prophecy. I want to pull out this part of the prophecy. Then we're going to look at it in its entirety. But I'm pulling it out this way to make sure that you don't miss it. So, If you're looking at the translation of chapter 14 that I'm looking at, they put in a a title in between verses, and they title it The Harvest of the Earth, right before verse 14. So it's important to know that the harvest of the earth, so in other words, what happens at the second coming of Jesus Christ to the humans that are on the earth, there's several groups. This prophecy talks about several groups of people who are here on the earth. Let's talk about group number one, all believers who survived the tribulation. So in Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 to 16, we have a report of Jesus Christ in the clouds and how he harvests, he reaps his forever family, and his forever family includes every human being in Christ who transitions from mortality to immortality. That's the harvest, God getting his forever family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Ruth, Naomi, me, you, every person in Christ, those who have died, who currently reside in heaven, and those who are here on the earth. Now, let's hear the part of the earth reap prophecy. So this is the prophecy that talks about the harvest of the earth. What happens to those who are here on the earth in Christ at the time of the second coming? Here it is, uh, Revelation Chapter 14, verses 14 to 16. Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. So this is talking about Jesus Christ. Elsewhere in the book of Revelation, there's a reference to Jesus Christ that way too let me see if i can find it i believe let me see if i can find that in revelation 
chapter 1, verse 12, in the formal introduction to the book of Revelation, John tells us about his experience while he's on the Isle of Patmos and how it all begins. And John says, uh, When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. So, this is Revelation chapter 1. Now we're in Revelation chapter 14. So again, John the Revelator is describing Jesus Christ as, quote, someone like the Son of Man. Well, you might say, research scientists, how, how can I be sure that this is talking about Jesus Christ? A couple of ways. Uh, number one, it says a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. So we see in Revelation chapter 19 in the marriage supper prophecy, Jesus Christ is identified as King of King and Lord King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we're told that when he fights the Battle of Armageddon, a sharp two-edged sword comes from his mouth. Also, you recognize this, this is Jesus Christ because it says uh, his eyes were like flames of fire. Okay. Um, let's continue. So Revelation chapter 14, when it says, Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. This is the same person that John the Revelator saw in chapter 1. Now he's shown a documentary, a vision, moving picture with words, in the future where he sees Jesus Christ seated on a cloud. Why is he seated on a cloud? Why isn't he at the right hand of the Father in heaven where he normally sits? Because it's the appointed time. It's the appointed time for the marriage of the Lamb. So the marriage of the Lamb is the first resurrection. That's the resurrection where all believers in Christ transition from mortality to immortality. Now let's hear specifically about those individuals who are here on the earth. It says, then another angel, so we're in chapter 14, continuing in. Let me start from verse 14 where we started, and let's go all the way to verse 16, then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud. So the angel is shouting to Jesus Christ. What does the angel shout? Swing the sickle, for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth. You heard that, not in heaven. The crop on earth 
is ripe. So this prophecy is about what is happening to people who were on the earth at the time of the second coming. Swing the sickle for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. Now, we're about to go to a new part of the events that happen on this same day and in this same, uh, I shouldn't say on the same day, in the same timing. Okay, so there's the marriage of the Lamb, that's the first resurrection, and then there's the marriage supper, the battle of Armageddon. So right here, there's the report of Jesus Christ. He's left heaven. Now he's sitting on a cloud. The angel shouts. Why? Because it's the appointed time for the resurrection. The resurrection happens. It included those people who were in heaven. They transition first from mortality to immortality. Then they rise up. And then second, those of us who are here on the earth, we also are a part of the harvest. But second, we never, ever die. We've survived the great tribulation, and now it's time for the first resurrection. Our loved ones and friends and people we've never, ever met yet, but we will meet them because they will be a part of God's forever family. They have already risen up to meet Jesus in the clouds, and then it says, so the one, talking about Jesus Christ, sitting on the cloud, swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. So whether you are going to be in Geneva, maybe you're in Addis Ababa, maybe you're in uh, Beijing, maybe you're in Hong Kong, maybe you're in Garland, Texas, San Francisco, Mexico City, Lisbon, um, Mogadishu, wherever you are on this earth, if you are in Christ, and you have survived the great tribulation, this is where you are discussed, one of the places where you were discussed in the book of Revelation. Now, after that, we go to another set of scriptures. Verse 17 says, After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, who had power to destroy with fire, came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, Swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So if, if Jesus has already swung his sickle and the earth has been harvested, why is there now a shout from one angel to another angel saying, Swing your sickle to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth. So the earth includes multiple groups of people. What, what do I mean by that? So I'm not talking about, oh, there's a group of women and there's a group of men. Or there's a group of Americans and a group of uh, Asians, a group of Europeans, a group of, uh, you know, like that. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about those who are in Christ. That's one group. And then there's another group. So everyone who's team Jesus at the time of the second coming, and then everyone who's team Satan. So in other words, 
everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So talking specifically and only about at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ, what happens to those people who are on the earth at that time? People who are alive in a mortal body at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we heard for the first group of people, what happens to us is that Jesus Christ himself gathers us. In other words, we rise up as described in First Thessalonians chapter 4. We transition from mortality to immortality and then we ascend to meet Jesus Christ in the air. Why? Because he's sitting on a cloud. That's where he was. And we meet him in the air. Now, what about the second group, those who are team Satan? So this second group did not participate in the first resurrection. They continue on in their mortal bodies. Now, that's a bad thing, in my opinion. In my opinion, that's a bad thing. Why would you want a mortal body if you can have an immortal body? Why would you want a body that can uh, die from old age when God has promised you that if you want it, you can have a body that will never, ever die? Why would you want a body that can get Parkinson's or cancer or suffer from mental oppression or where you could lose a limb or you could lose hearing or you could, you know, the list goes on and on. Why would you want a body that has DNA errors when you can have a peak performance body that has no DNA errors? So obviously we all begin with version one of our body. That's not a crime. That's nothing to be ashamed of. However, every person has the opportunity to transition to God's perfect will for your life, which is for you to have eternal life. You cannot have eternal life in a mortal body. Why? Because that body dies. A mortal body is not suitable for the new earth. You have to have an immortal body in order to live on the new earth. You say, well, how do I get an immortal body? You do that by going to mediation. You do that by following God's plan for salvation. Every person who has his or her name written in the Lamb's Book of Life is promised an immortal body. So once you get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it doesn't matter if or when you lose your mortal body because 100% not 95%, not 75%, 100% of every person whose names, uh, every, 100% of all people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life participate in that first resurrection. Let's hear it again. Then I saw a white cloud and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. That's talking about Jesus Christ. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, why does John the Revelator say he had? Because this is a documentary about the future, but the future has already happened in the mind of God. 
The future is the past for God. All time exists within God. So this has already happened for God, yet it's in our future. So God allowed John to see this documentary, which was created for our edification. So what happens in the future? He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Um, Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, swing the sickle for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. In other words, all believers on the earth transition from mortality to immortality, rise up to meet Jesus Christ, who's sitting on a cloud in the air. Okay, now let's continue. After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, who had power to destroy with fire, came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great wine press of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the wine press outside the city, and blood flowed from the wine press in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. So verses 17 to 20 tell us about the second harvest. So there are two harvests described in the earth reap prophecy. A harvest of God's forever family is referred to as earth's crop. And then there's the harvest of the grapes who experience the great wine press of God's wrath. So what's the great wine press? It's the Battle of Armageddon. I want to say that again. The great wine press is the Battle of Armageddon. Let me say it one more time. The great wine press is the Battle of Armageddon. You need to know that so that the last verse of chapter 14 makes sense to you and to me. Verse 20 says, let's go back to verse 19 first. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great wine press of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the wine press outside the city, and blood flowed from the wine press in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. So this is the end of this documentary, The Earth Reaped Prophecy. How do we make sense of that 180 miles of blood to begin? Remember that the second group, all whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, at this point in time, these individuals will have taken the mark of the beast, and they are Team Satan. So who all is in Team Satan? Again, everyone who failed to participate in the resurrection their team Satan. You say, well, how do you know? Because if a person didn't make the resurrection, that means the person wasn't in Christ. So there are only two options, line one and line two. Line one, those who participate in the first resurrection of the dead. Line two, 
those who participate in the second resurrection of the dead. That happens right before the great white throne judgment, after the millennial reign. So those of us who are here on the earth at the time of the second coming, we also get to participate in the resurrection of the dead, even though we will never, ever die, right? We heard that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We rise up second, also described here in Revelation 14. Now, what about this second group of people that are crushed in the great wine press? Let's go to Revelation 14 so we can unlock the secrets, Revelation 19, so we can unlock the secrets of uh, the great wine press. So the great wine press is used at the Battle of Armageddon. And essentially what it is, is it's a metaphor. So specifically, the armies led by the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the kings of the earth that invade Israel. Those individuals all have the mark of the beast, and they are gathered to that specific location so that the will of God can be done. What's the will of God? The will of God is to bring peace, to this earth. Now the Antichrist will stand in the third temple, which is shortly to be rebuilt. Once there's the peace sharing agreement, the soon coming peace sharing agreement, it will give the green light as described in the book of Daniel. It will give the green light for Israel to rebuild its Jewish temple on the temple mount. So the last temple that the Jews had to worship the Lord our God in Israel was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. Today, they are waiting. They await the opportunity to rebuild their temple, the temple of God in the Holy Land, specifically on the Temple Mount. The temple will be rebuilt as described in Revelation in the Seven Trumpets Prophecy and also elsewhere in the Bible. Now, what about the Battle of Armageddon? So the Antichrist is going to stand in his rebuilt temple and declare that he's God. That's the beginning of the Great Tribulation. He'll rule and reign for three and a half years. That's followed. The Great Tribulation, which is the wrath of Satan, is followed by the wrath of God. The wrath of God culminates with the Battle of Armageddon. It's not limited to the Battle of Armageddon, but it culminates with it. It's part of the seventh and final plague described in Revelation chapters 15 and 16. Now we're talking about the great wine press, this 180 miles of blood. So in Revelation chapter 19, we have another documentary. And in this documentary, we hear... The Marriage Supper Prophecy, uh, by the way, if you want to read it in its entirety, it's Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21. Let's go to the part where the Battle of Armageddon is about to start, uh, and then when it ends, it says, verse 11, then I saw, verse 11 of chapter 19, then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous 
war. So who's the writer? It's Jesus Christ. It says he wages a righteous war. How can a war be righteous? A war is righteous. The Battle of Armageddon is righteous because it's the war to end all wars. And only those who have rejected God will be destroyed in the war. Every person who has obeyed God, who is in right standing with God, who has repented of his or her sins. So whether you have many sins like Hitler or you have few sins like perhaps Mother Teresa. Maybe you're like most of us, you're somewhere in between. But friend and truth seeker, even if you have only, let's say, seven sins or nine sins or let's just say you have one sin, okay? Let's say you have one sin. One sin is sufficient to disqualify an individual from being in the presence of a holy, perfect God. So God the Father isn't relocating from heaven to the earth until there's no evil thing and no sin. So Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, returns to this earth to put all the enemies of God to destroy them. Once all of the enemies of God are destroyed, God the Father relocates his home from heaven to the new earth. So we've got to get to the point where there's no sin on this earth. So you and I have sins. The only way to get free of that is to get our sin debt paid for. The blood of Jesus pays our sin debt. Why? He died sinless. So he can die in my place, in your place, because he actually didn't have any sins. So the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. So that means sin's wage is death. That means you and I have to die because we're sinners. But wait, Jesus died, and he didn't have any sins. And he says, let me appropriate my payment to you. Why? Because I love you. That's what he says. I love you. Let me let me pay this sin debt for you. Think about this. If you could save your son or daughter from death, if God said, listen, your daughter's going to die today, but if you if you be willing to die in her place, then she can live forever. Would you do it? I'm going to bet that you would do it. So if you can do that and you're limited to the amount of love that you can experience, how much more would God the Father do, given the expansiveness, the volume, the uh, loudness, the vitality of his love. So he is essentially screaming out with the beauty of the stars, the beauty of the sun, the beauty of the moon, the beauty of flowers, the beauty of music. I love you. I've created a beautiful earth for you. I want you to be with me forever. Be my forever son. Be my forever daughter. Please, please, please let me pay for your sin debt. Let me die on your behalf so you can have eternal life and live with me forever on the new earth 
to come. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Now, you are the boss of you and I am the boss of me. What does that mean? You have the opportunity to accept the invitation of God, that invitation to allow him to get you in right standing, to pay your sin debt, pay off that bill. He wants to pay it off for you. He wants to pay it off for me. Now, if you're interested in taking him up on his offer, what you ought to do, go to Acts, A-C-T-S, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. There we're told God's plan for salvation, how to go ahead and allow him to pay it off. Somebody says, I'm going to pay off your debt. Well, it's something you got to do to get them to pay it off. But it's free, but you got to follow the instructions to go ahead and get it paid off. Those instructions are in, Act, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Briefly, what are they? Repent of your sins. Say, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for that. I don't like it. I want to turn my back on, on sinning, you know. Telling little lies, big lies, maybe some medium-sized lies. Thinking wrong thoughts. Not loving your neighbor. Uh, You know, whatever it is, we're all sinners. Okay, so you don't want to be under condemnation. We're not under condemnation. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So what are those steps? To get your sin debt paid off, number one, repent of your sins. Number two, make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. Say, Jesus, I need a Savior. Be Lord of my life. I make you Lord of my life. Repent, make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. Then be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Not in the name of Muhammad, not in the name of Nicole. Not in the name of Judas, not in the name of Shiva, not in the name of Buddha, not in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But what's his name? His name is Jesus Christ. And you say, why do I need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? We're told in the Bible for the remission of your sin debt, for the remission of your sins. What's remission? Payment. So you're baptized into his death. And if you die with him, so when you baptize and you go under, you are baptized into his death. And the Bible says if you die with him, then you will live with him. Now, he's alive in a peak performance body. He's alive. He rose from the dead. He was on this earth for 40 days. Then in his awesome, amazing Immortal, glorified, perfected body. He rose up, ascended into the clouds and beyond the clouds all the way to heaven where he currently resides. Now, I don't know about you, but I want a body that can do that. I want a body that will never, ever die. Nothing's more important than eternal life. And that's what God wants for you. You get to decide if you want it to. You get to decide whether you want it to. Uh, if you do that, if you follow those things noted in Acts 2.38, then you'll receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit. That's noted in Acts 2.38. What's that? That's 
another form of God. See, God's amazing like that. He's three in one. Here, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. He has one form, God the Father. That's in heaven. We don't get to uh, have him here with us on the earth until we go to the new, new earth. But another form, he gave himself a human form. Jesus Christ, then he transitioned from mortality to immortality. So he's in now his perfected body, his glorified body. Now, when you follow that second step, then it says the third thing that will happen is that you'll receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit. What's that? God comes to dwell on the inside of you. Now, whether you're a Christian, a Muslim, uh, you, maybe you practice Santeria, maybe you do ancestor worship, um, maybe you're agnostic or an atheist. Anyone can hear from God. Anyone can hear from God. But not everyone can have God living on the inside of the individual. God chooses to only dwell within those who have made him Lord of their lives. So instead of hearing from God now and then, maybe maybe never, I've heard some Muslims testify that they never, ever heard from God until they uh, followed Acts 2.38. In other words, until they um, made Jesus Lord of their lives and became a Christian, not a cultural Christian, but a true Christian. You know, let me pause and stay where I am. They say they never, ever heard from God until they became a Christian. So what does this mean? You can hear from God all the time. Well, how's that? When you get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, you receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit, and he indwells you. In other words, he comes to live inside of you, and he is a welcome addition. Right? Who doesn't want the counsel of God? Who doesn't want access to God? Who doesn't want God to be with him or with her 24-7? Okay. Now let us continue talking about this wine press. What's going to happen at the Battle of Armageddon? It says, the armies... Let me back up. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. So they're following Jesus Christ, the armies of heaven. Why? Because he's come to fight a war waged in righteousness, a righteous war. This is it. This is it. On that day, over and over again in the Bible, when you look in the books of the prophets, it says, and on that day, on that day, on that day. Do you know God is obsessed with the battle of Armageddon? He is obsessed with the Battle of Armageddon, the prophets are asking God for help at this or that, you know, 600 years ago, uh, 2,000 years ago. And so God speaks to the prophet, says something about what's going on to, with, with them at that time. Then he starts talking about the Battle of Armageddon. 
Then you fast forward 200 years later, he's talking to another prophet, tells him a little bit about what's going on with him. Then he starts talking about the Battle of Armageddon. Now let's fast forward. John the Revelator is on the Isle of Patmos. He has some messages and thoughts to share about uh, some words of correction and words of praise for the churches at the time that John the Revelator was on the earth, uh, chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. Then what happens? You guessed it. <laughs> he starts talking about the Battle of Armageddon. He's obsessed with the Battle of Armageddon. It's a key issue in the Bible. I'm amazed at how often the Battle of Armageddon uh, is discussed. Uh, and, and why wouldn't he be obsessed with it? At the end of the Battle of Armageddon, what happens? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. Peace on the earth begins at the conclusion of the Battle of Armageddon. Hallelujah. Let's hear about it. Continuing. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Okay, now we're about to get to it. So we hear in the earth read prophecy about the wine press and how 180 mouths of blood will flow at the Battle of Armageddon. Now we're going to hear even more details. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of King, King of All Kings and Lord of All Lords. So we know for sure that this is talking about Jesus Christ. Then it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. So I've talked about this many, many times. I don't want to belabor this point. Uh, right now, but briefly, I just watched earlier this week, someone refer to the book of Revelation and say, oh, we're all going to eat with God at the wedding banquet. And, you know, I don't doubt that we are going to feast and eat with uh, Jesus at the time of the second coming. And we're going to enjoy meals and break bread with Jesus. I don't doubt that. I look forward to that. But the book of Revelation, when it says here, Come gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. In this same scripture, verse 17, chapter 19, the instruction is for the vultures to come, not the bride of Christ, not uh, the enemies of God. So it's not for people. It specifically says shouting to the vultures. And what's the instruction that the angel gives to the vultures? Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Now, you might say, well, maybe they're just going to watch. Well, let's continue. Verse 18, come and eat the flesh of kings. Jesus is not a cannibal. You are not a cannibal. I am not a cannibal. We're not going to eat the flesh of kings. No, 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 no. Now, I might eat some pork chops or some fish or some uh, chicken. Okay, but I'm not going to eat the flesh of kings. And I don't think that you want to do that uh, either. So for sure, 100%, the Bible is very clear. The great banquet, some translations refer to it as the marriage supper, some as the wedding feast, verse 17 of chapter 19, 
it's referring to God's cleanup plan post Armageddon. Okay, cleanup plan for what? For this 180 miles of blood we're about to hear about. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors of horses and their riders and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Now remember, the marriage supper, that's where we are, the in other words, the great banquet, the wedding feast, happens after the wedding. So the first resurrection has already happened. So it's no way possible that any believer, no believer in heaven and no believer who was on the earth, is going to experience the wrath of God here at the Battle of Armageddon. In other words, not... Uh, be subject to it because it's only for those who fail to participate in the resurrection. And even beyond that, we're going to hear precisely who this is talking about. Let's hear verses 19 to 20. Then I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Let me read that one more time. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight. So the Antichrist and the kings of the world and their armies are all in Jerusalem. They have traversed the path of the Euphrates River, which the Bible tells us in Revelation chapters 15 and 16, the sixth and final plague, the sixth final plague is that the Euphrates River will be dried up supernaturally. We're not talking about water levels decreasing or water being uh, significantly lower relative to what it has been historically. We're talking about a supernatural drying up sufficient so that the armies can actually walk across it and uh, their animals and any other weapons that they have, tanks, whatever they're using, they're going to actually travel that path. That's going to be the way that they enter uh, Israel. And we're told here they're already there now, right? So they've already traveled that path, which God has uh, preordained and planned for them they think they're coming to take out Israel, but they're actually coming to their doom. What happens? Verse 20, and the beast was captured. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. Then it says, and with him the false prophet. So the beast and the Antichrist are captured at the Battle of Armageddon. Now what happens to them? Later on in verse 20, it says, both the beast and his false prophet so the false prophet, he doesn't answer to God. He answers to the Antichrist. And who does the Antichrist answer to? Satan. So you definitely don't want to be a part of the harlot church. You don't want to be a part of the harlot church described in the purple and scarlet prophecy because the false prophet answers to the Antichrist, and the Antichrist answers to Satan. Both the beast and the, his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. What's that mean? 
So they actually experience what the Bible refers to as the second death. So they leave this earth and they go to a new location, which is the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And it says they're thrown alive into it. Now, here's the unfortunate thing. Scientists have revealed that matter can never, ever be destroyed. It can only be transformed. You know, if I could do my life again, uh, maybe I would become a physicist. I'm really interested in physics. Uh, for whatever reasons, I didn't study it, but I find that very interesting. Matter um, can never, ever be destroyed. It can only be transformed. So the false prophet and the Antichrist are thrown into the lake of fire. Later, we hear in Revelation 20, verses 9 and 10, Satan joins them a thousand years later he's thrown into the fiery lake where it's, and it says where the beast and false prophet were so they're there and how long will they be there will it be a thousand years or two thousand or three thousand they are there for all time and beyond time so we say well what do you mean beyond time after we transition to the new earth we are beyond time we are in what Irvin Baxter refers to as eternity future, which some translations refer to as the eternities of eternities. So will we celebrate birthdays at that point? I don't know. But imagine someone saying, how old are you? And you say, well, I'm 584,363 years old. And then next year, I'm 584,364 years old. I mean, at a certain point, it's like, I am. Right? Remember, God talked about I am. So at some point, we transition to immortality, and then that's what it is for us, too. Okay, let's continue here. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Now, it doesn't say, and the saints gorged themselves on shrimp fried rice, or the saints all uh, gorged themselves on turkey, mashed potatoes, and turnips, or, and the bride of Christ feasted on shrimp with, you know, I can keep going on and on and on. So I love these ideas of a beautiful wedding feast after the resurrection. And perhaps, you know, I, I don't want to speculate on the, the timing of things like that. I do want to reiterate what the Bible says. And the Bible is very clear that the great banquet, in other words, part two of the marriage Part two of the wedding is the wedding feast, the wedding banquet. And that is when the vultures engage in the cleanup plan for the Battle of Armageddon. Let's take it back. It says their army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. Their entire army was killed. Let me read it again. Their entire army was killed. Now, we need that 
to unlock Revelation chapter 14, verse 20. The grapes were trampled in the wine press. Who were the grapes? That's the entire army. That's the entire army. And it says the grapes were trampled in the wine press outside the city and blood flowed from the wine press. What's that? The Battle of Armageddon. How, how, how much blood flows from these armies and their horses? It says about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. Now, you might say, I thought the Battle of Armageddon happened, I don't know what you might be thinking at the time is, timing is, um, but we heard here the Battle of Armageddon happens after the first resurrection. The Battle of Armageddon happens after all whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life transition from mortality to immortality. You might say, are you sure? Absolutely. At the beginning of this uh, marriage supper prophecy, it says, it begins with verse 6 of chapter 19. Uh, verse 7 says, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. Now, when will I be given and when will you be given the finest of pure white linen to wear? We don't get our new outfits until the time of the first resurrection. And the wedding feast. It tells us, let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. Honor to who? Jesus Christ. Why? He's come to fight and win the battle of Armageddon so we can, we can have peace on this earth. No more war in Jerusalem. No more war in Ukraine. No more war in Somalia. No more war in, you know, just fill in the blank, friend. People think if we just make more laws, things will get better. If we can make more treaties, things will get better. If we can just, we can just, we're not going to have true peace, permanent peace, until the return of Jesus Christ. Remember, it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. Okay, verse 9 says, and the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Okay. So the wedding feast, that's where the saints, we get to see. We don't get to eat. But if we're invited, if we're invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Now, now the wine press is the strategy God uses to destroy his enemies at the Battle of Armageddon, but the wedding feast is the cleanup. In other words, it's over. The vultures are gorging themselves on the dead bodies, the losers, everyone who was Team Satan, everyone who took the mark of the beast and who agreed to be in the armies led by the foolish, ridiculous Antichrist who was nothing more than a flunky of Satan, the loser. Satan's the loser. Jesus Christ is the winner. You know, I watched the Super Bowl this year. Now I'm watching the NBA Finals, and 
you know, I'm hoping my team's going to win. You know, I don't know whether my team's going to win or not. But here's the thing. I know that Team Jesus is going to win, and that's the main team that I'm invested in. That's the team that I'm actually on. We're all players in life. We're all players. Now, which jersey are you wearing? Is your jersey Jesus or is your jersey Satan? And you might say, research scientists, option C, none of the above. Friend, don't be deceived. There's none of the above. If you have not selected a jersey, that means the jersey that's been assigned to you is Satan. You don't want to be out here with the Satan jersey on. You could be caught out at any time. You could be caught out at any time. It could happen to any of us. Now, if we're caught out, in other words, if we fall asleep, if we experience the first death, we're going somewhere. Either we're going uh, beneath the earth or we're going above the earth. Either we're going to Hades where we'll sit in a prison of darkness or we're going to heaven where we have a place of rest and where we can learn. Those are the only two locations for disembodied spirits. And friend, make no mistake about it, you are a spirit and you are a soul. You have a mind, will, and emotions. Mind, will, and emotions. Okay, now let's go to the earth reap prophecy. We've examined verses 14 to 20 today. Let us hear the prophecy in its entirety. Verses 6 to 20 of chapter 14, the earth reap prophecy. Now remember, ultimately the prophecy zooms in on what happens to just those two groups that we talked about. What happens to those who are here on the earth at the time of the second coming who are believers, and then what happens to those who are Team Satan who are at the Battle of Armageddon. But when we hear the prophecy in its entirety, there's some other things that are mentioned. Let's hear it in its entirety now. Chapter 14, beginning with verse 6 all the way to verse 20, it says, John the Revelator speaking to us, And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people, fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come where he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Let me do a quick side note. Whenever it says the people who belong to this world in the book of Revelation, it's referring to those who are team Satan. And if it's talking about the people who belong to this world and uh, during the period that Daniel's 70th week, that seven-year period that includes the Great Tribulation, it's not limited to that, right? But that seven-year period that includes the three-and-a-half-year Great Tribulation, whenever it says the people who belong to this world, it's not talking about believers. So, uh so now the angel is shouting to those who have the mark of the beast, give glory to him for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Then another angel followed him through the sky shouting, Babylon is fallen. The great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. So this is talking about other activities that happen in this timing. So 
the harlot church and the headquarters of the harlot church is subject to the judgment of God, and it happens before the Battle of Armageddon. It's described in Revelation chapters 17 and 18, as well as verses 1 to 5 of 19. We'll be talking about the harlot church and the false prophet, as described in the Purple and Scarlet Prophecy in August. Uh, But there's a reference briefly to that here. So before the Battle of Armageddon, before the Battle of Armageddon, the headquarters of the Harlot Church is taken out. It says here, Babylon has fallen, that great city is fallen, because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever and they will have no relief day or night for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. So what is this talking about? During the wrath of Satan which precedes the wrath of God that culminates with the battle of Armageddon. During the wrath of Satan, there will be the opportunity to accept or reject the mark of the beast. Some of the people who take the mark of the beast will go in the great wine press, right? They'll be a part of the armies that invade Israel and participate in the battle of Armageddon. A hundred percent of those people are going to die at the battle of Armageddon. And the blood will flow for 180 miles. But there are others who will take the mark of the beast, many places, all over the earth, in fact. Now, these scriptures, verses 9 to 11, communicate the reality that everyone who takes the mark of the beast fails to transition from mortality to immortality at the first resurrection. When they die, where do they go? If you've been listening today, you know they go to Hades. Hades is a place of darkness. It's under the earth. It's a temporary location. You say, well, how do they go there if they've died? They go two in one instead of three in one. So their body continues to uh, remain here on the earth. Maybe it's in the sea. Some people are cremated and their ashes go to the sea. But remember, matter can never be destroyed, only transformed. So their body, even if it's as small as a nanoparticle, all those nanoparticles that represent their body, some people have uh, bones or decaying flesh in a grave, whatever it is, for these people who experience, who take the mark of the beast, they're going to die. Their bodies will remain here on the earth or in the sea, but their spirit and souls, they will go to Hades. How long will they be there? They'll be there until they'll be there through the second coming of Jesus Christ during the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ they'll still be there they'll still be there they won't get to leave that temporary location until the second resurrection let's hear about it Revelation 20 verse 5 says
Revelation chapter 20 says, I'm trying to get to the exact scripture. Revelation 20 verse 5 says, the rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Who were the rest of the dead? Those who have died who failed to participate in the first resurrection. So everyone is coming back to life. Everyone is going to stand before God. Everyone is going to be held accountable. Some are going to be held accountable and get rewards. Some are going to be held accountable and they're going to get sentenced to the lake of fire. All right. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Okay. So here in the earth reap prophecy, after the thousand years have ended, those who failed to go to mediation, in other words, they failed to make Jesus Lord of their life. They failed to let their loving father go ahead and make that payment for them. What payment? Payment for sin debt. They were rebellious. They said, no, no, I got it. I got it. I'll, I'll, hand, I'll handle it. I'll handle it. In other words, what does that mean? That means someone is saying, I, I, I'll go with this by myself. I, when my case comes before God, I'm going pro se. I don't need Jesus Christ to be my mediator. I'm pro se. I'm representing myself. I'll be my own lawyer. Friend, if God is on the other side and you're on one side and so he has a case and you're the defendant, who do you think is smarter? Do you think it's you or do you think it's God? Do you think, who's smarter? Is it me or is it God? So that's an easy one. You say, well, God's smarter than you, research scientists. Absolutely. And I say, it's also an easy one, uh, who's smarter, you or God? So if God has a case against you, that means that you did something wrong. God would not have a case against me and against you unless we did something wrong. What's the wrong that you did? Maybe you stole a piece of candy when you were seven. Maybe you lusted after your neighbor's wife. Maybe you thought murderous thoughts when your boss fired you unfairly. Maybe, listen, we should keep going, maybe, maybe, maybe. We're all sinners, okay? Some have had many sins, some fewer, but whether it's one sin or uh, three million sins, God has a case. Now, you can go to mediation and get your case settled. When your case is settled, you're in right standing with God. Everything's good. You're, you have your passport to the new earth. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When the first resurrection happens and that seventh trumpet sounds, Jesus Christ is on the cloud, and then uh, it's time for him to swing that sickle, you are part of that harvest of earth's crop. Everything's good. If you participate in the second resurrection, everything's not good. Now, let's hear about what happens to those who participate in the second resurrection. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, that's the dead judge prophecy. So everyone who didn't participate in the first resurrection, so they're waiting. Where are they waiting? In Hades. Now, I probably have a great-great-great-great-grandfather, great-great-grandmother who's there. I hope not, you know, but some people, 
uh, have rejected God, but, you know, we hope people haven't. But but let's be honest. Let's face some hard realities. You know, as a research scientist, um, I have to face hard realities in my work. Sometimes I'm looking to see whether an intervention worked or didn't. Think about research scientists who worked on, uh, they worked on the jab, right? Or they work on, let's say, some medication for cancer or multiple sclerosis. You're conducting studies to see if something worked or didn't work. And you look at those numbers, you calculate those statistics, and you don't play around with it because it, it matters. It's serious. So we're talking about right now something serious. It matters. What happens to those who fail to go to mediation? Here it is. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. So 100% of those people who did not go to mediation, now it's time for their case to be decided. Then it says, and the books were opened, including the book of life. So what? So each person has a book in heaven. It records what our thoughts aims, motives, and deeds are in our life on the earth. And then there's this, another book, and that's called the Book of Life. So the Book of Life is used to document every person who is authorized to live on the new earth. It documents every person who has been to mediation. In other words, your name is recorded there. It's the evidence that all your sin debt has been paid for. It's the evidence that you are in right standing with God and God will remember your sin no more. Now let's go back to the second resurrection. It says, and the books were opened, including the book of life. Now why do they need that there? Just to double check. God will look to see everyone who has a case. When that individual's case comes up, God will look to see, hey, is your name written in here? And if a person's name is not in there, that's the evidence that they failed to go to mediation in advance and that actually they're where they're supposed to be. It says, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. What books? Each person's books. Now, who are all these people? It says the sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead. A hundred percent of everyone who has died either participates in the first resurrection or the second one. And it says, and all were judged according to their deeds. Now, listen, let's say a person has 999 trillion good deeds. And one sin. Do you know that the one sin is sufficient for conviction? Maybe you only have one sin. Maybe you say, well, I just have three only. Or I think I just have two. If a person has only one. You say, well, I know that my sins are way fewer than my dad. My my dad, he this or that, or my mom this or that, or, you know, my brother this or that, or, well, look at, let me not say any names. Friend, 
when you stand before God, either as a saint or a sinner, he knows it all. He knows it all. Now it says, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Oh, was that me? You don't want to go where maybe Hitler's going. Now, I don't know if Hitler was saved or not. I don't think he was, but I don't know. He, he let's say he had uh, six million sins, each one with a name, right? And you only have 15 sins. You will suffer the same fate. Of the individual who has 15, 15 million, even if you only have 15 or five or one. Now, in reality, it's not your fault that you're a sinner. It's not my fault that I'm a sinner. We inherited the propensity for sin from our foremothers and forefathers. Adam was born in the image of God, but he lost sonship when he sinned as well as Eve. So everyone after Adam was born in the image of Adam, in the image of man instead of the image of God. So why did Jesus Christ come? To restore sonship. What's that? Immortality. Immortality. So because we were born in the image of Adam, we have the propensity to sin, in other words, the ability to sin, and uh, with surety, every person will sin, even children sin, right? You say, well, children are innocent. No, they're not. They're sinners. Let's keep going. And we also inherited the ability to die. Death is the evidence that you have an enemy. Death is the evidence that Satan exists, and Jesus Christ is the evidence that God loves you his resurrection is the evidence that immortality is an option now you can opt in to immortality or you can opt out opt in opt out line one line two first resurrection or second resurrection resurrection to eternal life Resurrection to eternal damnation. Either a person is a sheep or a goat, among the wheat or among the tares. Now, what's the fate of the tares? The tares go to the lake of fire, burning with fire uh, and sulfur and brimstone forever and ever. Now, you say, well, what does it matter if somebody experiences the second death if they've already experienced the first death? The second death continues for eternity. Matter can never, ever be destroyed. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. It says, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There... Every person who is team sated will join them and be tormented day and night forever and ever. You don't want to be with the losing team. You want to win the playoffs. You want to win the Super Bowl of life. You want to be you want to win. You want to be on team Jesus. That's God's will for your life. Why don't you say yes? 
why don't you get in agreement? Why don't you let your dad pay for your, your sin debt? Why don't you let your dad pay for your sin debt? Why not? What have you got to lose? If I'm wrong, it doesn't hurt you to follow Acts 2.38. But if I'm right, if the Bible is right, you have everything to gain. So I want to thank you for being with me and with us today. We're going to continue our discussion on the Earth Reap Prophecy on Thursday, 9 a.m. Texas time, 10 a.m. Eastern time. And next Sunday at 12 noon Texas time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, in July, we'll be talking about the seven plagues prophecy, which culminate with the Battle of Armageddon. And in August, we'll be talking about the purple and scarlet prophecy. You hear about the one world religion to come during the rule and reign of the Antichrist. Friend, I encourage you according to Jeremiah 33.3, call out to God. He promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know.